It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Happy Friday, Bengals fans, and welcome to the weekend edition of Lockdown Bengals. This is Jake Lisko. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Joe Goodberry. Please find us on Twitter at Lockdown Bengals, at Joe Goodberry, or at Jake underscore NFL. If you haven't already, as always, hit the subscribe and or like button on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or your podcast medium of choice. That would be really appreciated. Just since we are going into the weekend, if you did miss any of the other podcasts this week, They're all available to download. They're all available online. Monday was our first episode. We started strong on 99 on the iTunes overall sports podcast chart. Check that out for an intro to what Joe and I are going to be all about on this podcast. Tuesday, we covered the Zach Taylor press conference and some coaching rumors, some coaching hires, and the future for Andy Dalton in Cincinnati. Wednesday, we took a peek into the offseason and talked about the Bengals' upcoming free agents and what their needs might be this offseason. And Thursday, John Sheeran joined us to talk about the Senior Bowl, and we had a Lewis Air Fantasy Draft, which Joe insists he won. Easily. Next week, we'll be back Monday to weigh in on whatever news happens over the weekend, and we'll get a little bit deeper into the offseason next week. We'll start talking about the draft a little bit more. And as always, we'll have our Mailbag Friday, so keep the questions coming. To start this week, we'll run through a few news notes, and then we'll get into the mailbag, and that's probably going to take up most of our show. So for those news notes, we have a new strength and conditioning hire, and we have confirmation that an interview is coming for Aubrey Pleasant. Joey Boos has been hired or is rumored to have been hired by the Cincinnati Bengals to join the strength and conditioning staff. His official title hasn't yet been announced. This is another coach from Zach Taylor's time at Texas A&M from 2008 to 2011. And Taylor's again dipping into the same well of the familiar from his time at A&M. This is the same place that Jim Turner comes from. Actually, is it the same place Jim Turner comes from? A&M? Yes, but they were together. Turner was there up until 2011 before he left for the Dolphins. That's right. Okay. Second note here, Thursday night, last night, Gary Klein of the LA Times reported that the Bengals and Aubrey Pleasant did get permission from the Los Angeles Rams to interview for the defensive coordinator position, so that is something that we'll expect to see in the coming days. And one last little tidbit of note here, Kyler Murray reportedly will be attending the NFL Scouting Combine. That's good. I did actually did not see that, so as I'm as you say that, I kind of perked up a little bit because uh, I don't know if you saw the interview with Dan Patrick. It was around Super Bowl time. It was very awkward. He didn't seem like he knew if he was playing 
baseball or football or at least didn't want to tell anybody anything. And it was, I'm sure, very off-putting for NFL teams. Yeah, it was rough to watch. So, without further ado, Joe, let's get into the mailbag. I'll let you handle these first couple of questions here. I'll read them to you. We have some questions about what we can expect in terms of scheme concept. We touched on some of this stuff earlier this week. First question is from Zach on Twitter at Scalf, S-C-A-L-F-F. He asks what the biggest challenges we're most likely to see on, biggest changes we're most likely to see on offense are in terms of play style and concepts. And who are the biggest benefactors? I know we've talked a little bit about Joe Mixon, but let's dig into that a little bit more. Yeah, besides Joe Mixon, who I think is an excellent, superb fit for this Zach Taylor Rams offense. Uh, I think the biggest benefactors will be the quarterback. It's a very quarterback-friendly offense. I think Dalton fits it very well. Uh, the play-action game is going to be heavily relied on. And the concepts they break off of that, trying to put linebackers in conflict, which is basically making the linebacker decide and choose what read he wants to take. Because first read for a linebacker is your offensive line. you got a guy either pulling or, or run-blocking. Both can happen on play action, and that linebacker is going to end up out of position. Uh, and they attack it consistently and throughout the game. And really, when the running game's going for for the Rams and the offense, and for the Bengals and Joe Mixon, Andy Dalton's going to look really good with the play action. But we talked about it earlier in the week, and I think all three receivers are going to look excellent. And you look this past couple years for the Bengals at their targets and, and their completion percentage to outside receivers versus slot receivers. It's no comparison. They've been so much more efficient in the slot over the last two years, even when think last year and A.J. Green getting his touchdowns out of the slot, three of them versus the Ravens in week two out of the slot on Thursday night football. Uh, Green, as he gets older, is going to benefit more and more from this offense. And I think putting John Ross in there and getting him in space is going to help out too. So I really like the receivers in this offense. I really like Joe Mixon. And I, I mean, it sounds like I like everyone, right, with Andy Dalton. But I do believe this offense works. I think the one concern is, and we saw it in the Super Bowl, is they're a little too reliant on the same personnel, which is 11 personnel, and they're going to run their scheme and run their stuff. Hopefully Taylor takes that experience and opens it up a little bit more. That'll make it really interesting to see what they do with the tight ends. One follow-up question for you off of that discussion, Joe. Do we see more of the run action from the Rams or the play action? Do you know what I'm talking about with the distinction there? Yeah, uh, and because they show, even on run plays, they show the run action. So even on play action, they're showing the run action. And you're you're talking about mostly with the receiver coming over, the jet action, and trying to get that backside um, of the defense to think twice. I, I guess you see that more than play action because you're going to see it on passes and runs, uh, both. So that's something we're going to see, and in, in we're going to see John Ross in that role a lot. And it was also really interesting to see the different ways the Rams use different running backs in the play-action game uh, with the outside stuff looking a lot different to defenses than the stuff up the middle. So when Gurley's on the field, you're getting different play-action looks than you've got with uh, CJ Anderson. Anderson. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's some segues here. We have some other questions about specific guys in the Zach Taylor offense. So you talked a little bit about... Mixon. How about Geo? Does he fit into the Zach Taylor world? Do we think we'll see 21 personnel from the Taylor offense? This question comes from Damon at DamonDown6 on Twitter. That's a harder question, I think, because I don't think we have a direct example of, in the Rams offense, them using a smaller third down 
pass catching type back. Um, because they have Todd Gurley, they have a special back uh, as the lead for the most part. He is right. And he can receive, he can run. You don't have to take him off the field. I would say the same about Joe Mixon, even though we haven't seen him fully in the, as a passing weapon, but I would look at the Redskins and where McVay came from. And I think a lot of what the Redskins do, we should expect to do here in Cincinnati. And because they run a lot of zone stuff up front, uh, but the way they use Chris Thompson, I say, would be the way you would use Giovanni Bernard. And mostly they've had to use Chris Thompson because the guys they've drafted, the, the guys they've signed and, and employed as the number one back have been mostly power guys that aren't great receivers. So they found a really good role for Thompson with, with the Redskins. Uh, I believe if the if McVay had a guy like that, we would definitely see him be used. It's just that they didn't. I, I like to believe Gio will find a role. I think those two are interchangeable, Mixon and Gio, so you don't have to worry about it too much. And then not like before when it was Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard or Giovanni Bernard and Jarvis Green-Ellis. Those had defined clear roles in the offense. I think more you're more fluid and flexible. And it, thinking of that, I believe there is a role for Bernard. And Gio's under contract, right? Yeah, he is. He's yeah. under contract this year, and it's hard to imagine at that cap number, which is $4.5 million, that they're ready to move on. So I think they'll find a way for him to fit in. Next question here from Nick at nscott70. He's asking specifically about John Ross. You mentioned that you like the receivers in this offense earlier. What about the Rams scheme is going to free up Ross? What are we going to see from him under Zach Taylor? Well, not only the run action, which I talked about, and we're going to see a lot of jet sweeps and jet motions for Ross as the way they did with Brandon Cooks, uh, which are going to provide him opportunities to run with the ball in his hands and, and be in space. They run a lot of screens, too. will help Ross. I think having everybody in condensed formations, what I mean is instead of receivers being really out wide, they're much more closer. It's almost like everyone's a slot receiver, and what it does is back off the corners puts the corners on outside positioning so you have more free releases and two-way goes for every receiver instead of just it being the slot guy. I think that'll help Ross out a lot. One of the concerns I had at Washington was his release and dealing with the jam and, and bigger corners. That'll alleviate a lot in this offense because he won't have to deal with it as much. And most of the stuff you see in the Rams offense was schemed open and schemed targets for specific players. When they wanted to get the ball to Cooks, they did and they did it to get him in the space and so we can operate and run and, and be an athlete that he is. I think if they view Ross the same way, that's exactly how you'd use him. Yeah, that's a great point. The uh, the stuff about the release is really interesting stuff to think about. One other thing to note here, just because we're talking about some existing guys in the offense, and for any other team, I think we would expect to see some roster churn happening uh, with the new coach coming in. So we have, we'll have to see how much that happens under under Zach Taylor. After the break, we'll answer your questions about the draft and free agency. Stick with us. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Moving on into our next set of questions here. We have some questions about some off-season stuff, some draft questions, some free agent questions. We'll start by, have you watched Mac Wilson yet? I have. Okay, so you might have an answer to this question. This is from a different Jake. This isn't me. 
at juicy jake underscore on twitter juicy jake that sounds like you yeah it would be me right uh what's a better value between Devin white at 11 or mac wilson if he's there in round two i think this is a great question and before you even get into the evaluation of each player you have to put in the value of an off the ball linebacker being taken at 11 versus taking one in round two the sweet spot for linebackers has been day two for a long time because of this because they're they're typically not valued in that top 15 so we've get Good linebackers really taken afterwards. Leighton Vanderesh last year at 19, I want to say, uh, could have been the defensive rookie of the year if it wasn't such a great class. And he goes second half of round one. Uh, the best linebacker in the league is Bobby Wagner. He was taken in the second round. So in my opinion, the value is better to wait and see who's there. And I really like Devin Bush, too. If that was, if you, you can interchange Mac Wilson or Devin Bush for the number two guy, and I'm cool with that in the second round. But I do think Devin White is special enough and provides what the Bengals are looking for enough to consider him at 11 and and just say, okay, this is a good offensive line class. This is a good tight end class. We can get those guys in round two, and you really don't feel like you've you've missed an opportunity if you wait for for a linebacker or if you take a linebacker at 11 and wait for those other positions, I should say. Uh, But looking at the two of them, the difference to me, the biggest difference, is while White's an athletic freak, uh, he's going to test fantastically well. He's better against the run, downhill, lightning fast, closing speed, and hits with power. Mac Wilson, on the other hand, while he is an athlete, I remember him coming into Alabama and some of the uh, players said, we didn't know what type of defender he'd be. They didn't even know if he'd be a full-time linebacker. And then he became more and more of a linebacker in, in an Alabama defense where they're very run-heavy, run-sound, much like LSU. Uh, Mac Wilson is much better in coverage and much more natural, much more fluid. I want to say he had six career interceptions to Devin White's one. Uh, Wilson is the m- much better guy in coverage. Will, uh, White's a little more aggressive and can get out of position much more easily. But when you watch LSU's defense, they are run focused. I remember watching Daniel Hunter a few years ago, and it goes even that length of LSU, man. They play the run and they're reading and keying the run. 20 times before they're keying on a pass play. So you're going to see Devin White out of position a lot, and he's doing his job. So I do think there's some upside there that's uh, that really isn't on film, and it could snap in right away for White, where he's a better cover player. But um, I do like Wilson, round two, if I were to compare the two, and, and, and say there is better value there, and I think you're getting a good linebacker. I think he's closer to the C.J. Mosley mold than he is of the Reggie Raglins of Alabama, where you usually have those downhill run stuffers, or very rarely you get that athlete that can cover. And I think that's what uh, Mac Wilson is this year. Interesting questions, and I'm sure it's stuff that's going on already in the Bengals' front office. A couple more questions here, uh, just about the free agency and the draft. We'll talk a little bit about uh, tight end from Iowa, TJ Hawkinson. P. Mo from Reddit asks, is Hawkinson a good fit? He seems like a great fit for the AFC North, says P. Mo on Reddit. And I personally agree with that. This guy is one of the, he's got to be the most complete tight end in the class in terms of what he brings to the table as a blocker, as an athlete, as a natural hands catcher in terms of a full route tree. My question is, is the value going to be there? Is he going to be a guy that's a late first rounder? Is he someone you even consider at 11, or do you have to get something more special out of that position if you're taking a tight end at 11? Joe, what do you think? I think both Iowa tight ends end up going in the first round, and that's Hawkinson and Fant. Uh, George Fant is the other one. Fant's going to test better, look like the athletic freak. He was the better receiver of the two. I and mean, I say that kind of debating as, as I say it because Hawkinson's more of the um, 
Better route runner. I want to say better hands. Much better blocker. Way better blocker. Hawkinson, and he's going to test well. He's just not going to test like a freak like Fant is. Hawkinson's the most well-rounded guy. And one, maybe the most well-rounded tight end prospect we've had in a long time. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes top 20. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think he's a plug-and-play starter. The problem is value at tight end is low traditionally. They historically do not have great rookie years. It takes in the year two, maybe even year three for them to fully develop and become impact players for you. So I think that's why a lot of teams shy away from tight end early unless you're a super freak. And that's where I think Fant is going to test. And if you considered O.J. Howard at nine a couple years ago as a fan, I think you definitely consider Fant at 11 this year, and I think a lot of teams will. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see both those guys go between 10 and 25 based on their combine testing because that is a big factor for tight ends. But I think both guys are potential to be studs in the NFL. And I've seen both of them go into the Packers in the top 15. So, yeah, I, I again, I don't know that either of these guys are going to be there in round two, but it is a great class for tight ends. And there's also a really good free agent crop of tight ends. Iowa, though. Keeps putting out tight ends. They have them blocked, man. And you get an athlete, too. They're just, it's a good spot to be in if you're looking for a guy that can, because not a lot of these guys block in college. Most of them are glorified big receivers. And we can see that. That's the easiest thing to evaluate. I think the unknown part is the blocking, obviously, for a lot of these guys. And when you see them in Iowa running this, this pro-style blocking scheme and they're good at it, like Hawkinson is, um, it really perks up some NFL teams. And we'll see how that plays out as the combine gets closer. It's coming to you in late February into early March. Last question before we go to a break. Rory at RJ Daniels NFL asks, how do we feel about Jordan Hicks, free agent linebacker? Is he going to be in the Bengals price range? I like him a lot. Uh, I think he's exactly what we should be looking for. The Bengals really liked him the year he came out four years ago. He went with the 84th pick, third round. The Bengals picked 85th, and they were going to take him from based on reports and accounts. Uh, they ended up taking Tyler Croft with the very next pick, taking Paul Dawson later in the third round with compensatory selection. I can see them really wanting to avenge that and get Hicks in the building as a free agent. Uh, he's an athlete. He's got good cover ability. He really hasn't been able to stay healthy, and I think that's going to be his biggest knock for a lot of teams. And that's kind of scary for Bengals fans, I think, at the same time, because they've been ravaged with injuries at linebacker for so many years now. It, it's You kind of want to bring a guy in that you know is durable, but they did that last year with Preston Brown, who played 99% of the snaps in his career, and he ends up being injured right away. So kind of the luck of the draw there. As as for would he be in the Bengals' price range, I looked at some guys last year, free agent linebackers, top three off the ball or inside linebackers, were paid Nigel Bradham, five years, $40 million to Philly, Avery Williamson, three-year, $23 million to the Jets. And Zach Brown, three years, $21 million to Washington. That averages out to be about $7.6 million a year for those linebackers. I can see Hicks in that range for sure. And you have to question, are the Bengals now, we talked about this earlier in the on the Needs podcast, what was that, Tuesday? Uh, or was that Wednesday? That was Wednesday. And Preston Brown, if they want to bring him back, he made $5 million last year, 5.5, I think it was. And then Vontaze Perfect, if they release him, you're talking about two guys you could easily cover the cost of of a Hicks in free agency or if you want to go with someone else, uh, another linebacker in free agency. So you could definitely cover the cost. The Bengals' issue remains and always has been, and we'll see if it remains actually, the guaranteed money. It's and For this CBA, this current contract, 
you sign a guy to 20 million guaranteed, you have to sign over that that check and put it into an escrow account the day uh, that that player signs. And the Bengals have shied away from that. Uh, most guaranteed money they normally give out is in the teens for a lot of their players. Look at their contracts, and even like Andy Dalton gets 14 million guaranteed. Uh, Carlos Dunlap 18 million in that range. It really, besides AJ Green, they have shied away from giving that money out, and that's going to hurt them in free agency unless they want to change that. So is he in their range is the harder question. Does he fit and, and should he be a target for them? That's definitely a yes. And that point about money going into escrow is an interesting one that I've seen a little bit of discussion on on Twitter lately, and it might be a point for the next CBA on Hicks quickly before we move on. He is pro football focuses top off ball linebacker or top linebacker period in the free agent class ahead of CJ mostly ahead of Anthony Barr. And then there are the names we talked about earlier this week, KJ Wright, Quan Alexander, Michael Kendricks. So we'll see how much of an impact PFF has on the free agent market. We'll see if Jordan Hicks ends up coming away with more money than CJ Mosley, who I think is probably without this list, your number one guy. Quickly, before we get to the break, we had a question just come in from Jake at the Jake Money. And he asked, should the Bengals trade for Derek Carr? And for us, this is a pretty simple answer. We're both on the no train and the distinction here is we would like to upgrade from Andy Dalton, but we don't want to make a lateral move for the sake of making a lateral move. And that's how we see Derek Carr. A lot of the same flaws. Joe, anything to add? Yeah, that's it. We talk about Dalton a lot and potential to move on from him, and it's because we want more. It's not that we dislike Andy Dalton. It's just that there is potential to find somebody with different flaws. And I think Carr and Dalton both struggle after two and a half seconds, which is a distinction for, you know, quick passing. And when things break down outside of structure, creating plays that aren't there Uh, while Dalton showed some progress the first quarter of the season, I think he reverted and started to slowly go back to what he was, which is normal for guys that are working on something. Uh, But deep accuracy, willingness to throw it deep and push it downfield. That's an area that Derek Carr struggles even more than Andy Dalton. And that's not an area I want to take a step back in either. So, um, again, I don't, that would be a lateral and maybe in some areas a downgrade. I just think Derek Carr's really struggled lately, even though I thought he play, had a better second half of the season under John Gruden. If that continues, that's fine, but I'm not interested. After the break, we'll get into some more questions. We have some questions about coaching. We have some questions about some cuts and we have some fun. So we'll see you after the break. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're almost to the weekend, but we have a few more questions. And I know for you, the weekend involves working, but for me, it's just the weekend. But anyway, a few more questions before you get to go to work for four days. The first of them are about coaching. And we've been talking about coaching all week. Who Day Daily from Twitter at Who Day underscore Daily asks, should we be concerned about the defense with an offensive head coach? 
there were a lot more words to this question, but that's the, that's the gist of it. And for me, and we'll get your thoughts in a second. For me, it's just, you hire the experienced guy that can communicate and that has gotten results in the past. And you hope he gets results again. We don't know much about the defensive guys he's looking at. We know that Pleasant has been seen as an up-and-coming head coach for a long time. We know these other guys. We talked about their experience yesterday, so you can listen to the little bits we do know about the defensive coordinators. But do we worry about it? Maybe a little bit. I don't know. Joe, what do you think? I don't think they're putting in a non-emphasis or forgetting the defense at all. You know, I think just because the offensive staff has rounded out first – I, you know, from what I was told, they wanted uh, a couple of these defensive guys that w- that did turn down the job already, or it didn't work out for whatever reason, um, and that that happens sometimes. It doesn't mean that they won't end up hiring a good defensive coordinator. He just may be inexperienced or or new at it, and just like that works for offense sometimes, it may work for defense. If Freddie Kitchens was a running backs coach coming in last year for the Browns, he ends up being a really good offensive designer and play caller, and then ending up being their head coach within a year. So it doesn't mean it has to be bad. It doesn't mean that they're not putting an emphasis on the defensive side of the ball. If it's like the Rams, the Rams brought in a lot of defensive free agents, spent defensive picks on, on guys very highly. Um, I would say if they go out and take a Devin White or a defensive tackle, Ed Oliver, or something with the 11th pick, well, then you would feel completely different now in two months that, hey, you know, they are investing in this defense also I, I don't think they're forgetting defense I think they have good talent on defense I think if they get the right guy in this could be a, a top half unit very early so uh I can understand why this question was asked but I don't think it's concern yet at this point when it's very early still for them filling out an entire staff and it, and it is early that's exactly it the timing of the hires has been that we've seen these offensive guys coming in first so I think, you know, we can wait and see what's happening with defensive coaching. We can wait and see what their approach is in the offseason. Zach Taylor as a head coach now. I mean, you still got Duke Tobin up there. Duke Tobin's built teams before. He knows what he's doing. So it's not like we're just going to end up with, well, we hope we don't end up with a repeat of three straight 500-yard games. Yeah, yeah, that historic bad defense, that shouldn't have to happen. And you see when Marvin took over, they were much better. You, It may have just been Terrell Austin was a horrible fit. Yeah, and he he found another job right away. So it's not we're not saying that Terrell Austin is a bad coach, but the fit wasn't there, and we we didn't get the results, and that can happen. He was an experienced guy. Maybe maybe the new guy is the right fit. We'll we'll have to just wait and see what happens there. Next question: Bad Bengal at Angry Mutter on Twitter asks, Are we nervous about the first time coaches? Is Taylor set up for success with these coaching hires? And he refers to Jim Turner when we're talking about are these the right guys? And for me, so far, the coaches that we've hired that aren't just sticking with the organization are Taylor's guys. And the coaches that are sticking around are mostly coaches that we're fine with seeing them stick around. Darren Simmons, a special teams coordinator? Great. Sure. I, I'm not mad at that at all. But when you talk about is he set up, such, is he, is he set up for success? I mean, if we believe in Zach Taylor, we have to believe in his coaching hires because these are his guys. These are guys that he has experience with for the most part he's worked with before and he's going to bat for him yeah and i don't know if it means he's set up for success i i believe um you know that's more of a not it's a result rather than the the decision making so we won't know that for a while or ultimately we'll have a great answer for a while on that but am i nervous yeah i think 
anytime there's inexperience or some gray area or unknown in, in the projection, it will make you nervous. It's the same way I think fans feel very similarly when a team takes a player in the draft and you say, if you haven't been able to watch them on film, if you're not that kind of guy, you're just a, a fan that, okay, whoever they pick, I'll be happy with, or I'll go from there. You may have some concerns in very similarly because you don't know who that guy is, what he can do, what he can't do, and you will put your faith a lot of times in, in people you trust to, to relay that information to you. Uh, in this case with coaches, we often don't know, and especially if a guy doesn't have previous experience, especially as a head coach or in the position they're they're elevating to. Uh, even if you listen to an L.A. beat writer, they cannot give you enough about Zach Taylor to make you feel comfortable. Uh, they're not going to give you enough about Aubrey Pleasant to make you feel comfortable. And they may have a couple good you know, lines or, or experiences with the guy, but that doesn't tell you how he's going to be in an elevated position. It's really an unknown. It's a bigger crapshoot hiring coaches than it is the NFL draft. So for me, I'm always going to feel a little bit uncomfortable, but this is what I wanted. I wanted to swing for the fences, and if they get the right guy, get the golden ticket at any of these spots, and especially a head coach, uh, it's going to be huge for the organization and their chances to ultimately win something. And that's exactly it, right? We are swinging for the fences. We have this new guy coming in on the offensive with an offensive background. He's going to be the head coach. We've got Brian Callahan. That's another one of his guys. So again, if you're nervous, you're nervous about Zach Taylor. If you're nervous about the other guys Zach Taylor's hiring, it's because you're nervous about Zach Taylor. And that's, like Joe said, it's this big unknown. And maybe it's not as big of a crapshoot necessarily as the NFL draft for the people that know, for the people that are doing the interviews. But for us as fans, there's so little information available until after the fact about most of these coaches that we're talking about. It, it does feel like a crapshoot. Next question. We're going to get into some questions about some potential cap casualties. Chris on Twitter at Bental Chris asks, is it time for the Bengals to move on from Jay Kirkpatrick? I've, I mean, I, I answered the question on Twitter, but we have some thoughts on this. Looking just at the contract itself, this guy, if you're looking at him as a cap cut, I don't think this is a year because this year you're still looking at about $4 million in dead money, which is more dead money than the Bengals have taken on under Mike Brown maybe ever. I don't have the facts to back that up, but last year when they cut George Iloka, they took $1.5 in dead money. I was surprised. Next year, though, that number goes down to $2 million, and maybe if the performance isn't there with the new coaching staff that's not as attached to a guy they drafted in Drake Kirkpatrick, who obviously Marvin Lewis drafted, maybe next year is the year we see that happen. Yeah, next year after June 1st will be 1.4 for 2019, 1.4 million for 2020. So that really makes sense. Now, it would be a cap saving if they did it this year. It'd be ultimately 4.2 million. If they do it after June 1st, it'll be 1.4 on this year's cap, 2.8 million on next year's cap with a savings of 9.5 million dollars, which is significant. But traditionally the Bengals do not like to eat dead money and waste that 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 cap space. So uh, in my opinion, I think he's returning. I also th should say his performance last year was one of his best years, in my opinion. I, he allowed 44% of the balls completed in his area when he was being targeted. An 82 quarterback rating for a guy who had no interceptions, that's pretty significant. Getting one interception, that quarterback rating is really going to dive down and be amongst the best in the league. Uh, he had penalties. Again, that's going to be our biggest focus. Missed tackles, penalties, and I feel like teams attack him 
in crunch situations. And I, I think you would with the three corners they have, William Jackson, Dark West Denard, and then Drake Kirkpatrick. For me, if you're not if you don't have an elite slot guy or you need to get a, a chunk plays down the field late in a game or before halftime, and this is where we see Kirkpatrick targeted a lot. Steelers do it, Ravens do it. I feel like the Patriots, smart teams, any good team or offense would do this. You're going to throw the ball deep, and hopefully Kirkpatrick panics. He doesn't have tremendous long speed, his ball skills, and then he's very leggy with short arms. So what that does is get him off balance more often, especially when he wants to grab and turn and look for the ball. That's a big thing for for man coverage, especially deep balls, is you want to get your right hand, let's say because he plays that side, you want to get your right hand on the hip or side of the receiver, you're going to look back and locate and play the ball. He doesn't look comfortable doing that, and I think it's because he needs to be really close. I would say of all the all the corners I watch, Kirkpatrick is in perfect coverage and doesn't affect the pass more than anybody in the NFL. And because of it, it creates frustration. The, the untimely penalties, the missed tackles, the being in position but not affecting the play frustrates fans. But the fact is last year was a really good year for him. And him and Jackson can be really good players. And our focus this year should be nickel corner more than Kirkpatrick. If they want to draft a guy to eventually supplant him on the outside boundary, I'm completely for it. But I think right now they are not equipped to let him go and fill nickel and outside corner. But if you if you bring back Denard and you and they feel comfortable eating that cap space that Kirkpatrick would, would hit them with on the dead cap, then I could understand it, you know, but I think this is the bad year to try and do it with having potentially filled two spots at corner. Yeah, I don't think this is a year. From both the cap perspective that I talked about and the there's only so much you can do in an offseason, right? You only have so many draft picks. You only have so much capital to go into free agency, and the Bengals aren't using all that capital anyway. So if you're talking about letting Kirkpatrick go, that just creates another need. As Joe said, he was maybe, he maybe had his best year. He's got a couple years left on his deal. I don't I don't think that you get rid of him when he is he's a pretty vocal guy in the locker room too it's hard to say how the locker room reacts to that sort of cut and if you're just coming in I think you want to take some transition years with the guys that are there uh, the next question is one that we've talked about a little bit but I, I wanted to acknowledge it this is from powdered donuts on reddit he asks is it time to move on from Andy Dalton is he going to be a good fit in the LA style offense and we've talked about this one a little bit throughout the week too this, I think Dalton is a quarterback this year. I think he had made some strides early in the year that Joe and I talked about on Twitter early in the year that are things that we haven't seen from him before. But we're getting another offense, another West Coast offense, and Dalton has done really well in those situations before. Uh, you still have A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd. We'll see what happens at tight end. But I think that for for, for this year especially, again, just like Dre I don't think you want to necessarily move on from Dalton in year one of your Zach Taylor tenure. Joe. Yeah. And I think this question has really been sparked lately because with a new coach, especially an offensive guy, traditionally around the league is a new quarterback. Eventually it doesn't have to be this off season and maybe next off season. It could be in a matter of weeks. Uh, honestly, it, we don't know the timetable. We don't know Zach Taylor's true feelings. We know what he's, he has said publicly. I think it's also been sparked because if you follow on Twitter, Benjamin Albright has talked about don't be surprised if the Bengals are interested in Ryan Tannehill. And Tannehill played under Taylor when Taylor was in Miami. And on the surface, it doesn't make sense because you may say, well, they're very similar players. Bengals fans may say, 
Dalton's better than Tannehill. You look at their numbers, they're almost dead on per game in, in terms of stats. Uh, Tannehill hasn't been able to stay healthy. If they're going to have to sign him in free agency, you may end up paying him similar to Dalton with more guaranteed money. That doesn't make sense again. But Albright is very good at this and connected. And I met him down in the senior bowl at, at, in Alabama, and he reiterated it, and he made even more comments and some background stuff that I don't know if I can share or not because we were drinking and having a good time, and I don't know if he wants me to share that. But he did say things have already been preliminary talked about with the Redskins and with Tannehill. And if that is the case, we could see a shakeup this year. And as much as it doesn't make sense to you in terms of cap money, in terms of talent and trade-off at that quarterback position, I would say already there's been some things that haven't made sense with after Zach Taylor's been hired in terms of coaching staff and, and who he's brought on and rumored to bring on. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that we're looking at a bridge quarterback to get us to that next franchise quarterback. And if that's the case, it could start this year. It could happen next year. It could happen the year after that. But I think we're now entering that territory where the next group of Bengals players is going to have a different quarterback at some point. Absolutely. And and I think you make a good point that there's a lot of unpredictability around this now. We do have the Ryan Tannehill rumors, of course, going back. And, and I'm not one to ever question Ben Albright. That guy's been right too many times. Uh, you can make the same argument with Derek Carr to some extent. If he was a free agent with the Brian Callahan connection, he's not a free agent. We talked about him. Uh, yeah, I mean, does it make sense? That's a question. What, what do they get in the return for Dalton? What are they paying Tannehill? Those are the questions you have to answer when you decide if that's going to make sense. Yeah, and I think the return on Dalton, again, if we're going from Albright, because we talked a lot that night, or at least a lot about this, and um, he doesn't believe the return for Dalton would be very high. And if that's the case, it makes even less sense, right? Because you figure the Bengals, how they value their own players. And if it's truly Mike Brown still running this, which it feels like maybe less and less he is, uh, if that's the case... Man, it would be. I think it'd be shocking for a lot of fans if they flipped him for maybe a third round pick and brought in Ryan Tannehill. Because I think fans would pretty, be pretty upset about that. But um, just the way it was relayed to me, that is a scenario and a possibility. That's just such a lateral move for me, for a third round pick. But I don't think it has to be an upgrade. I think the idea is to start over without having Dalton in the room. They've never challenged Dalton before, right? They've never really brought in a high draft pick or a good free agent. Agent McCarron being really the only guy, and it was a fifth rounder, and I think they liked McCarron because he knew his role. Uh, he was a great backup in terms of you know what you want from that position, and he was very similar to Dalton, so he never really challenged him. They've, net, they've had kid gloves on Dalton for a long time. Uh, I don't think they like the idea of bringing in direct competition with Dalton and having that kind of turmoil with the old Bengals versus the new Bengals. And cause there's going to be some of that whenever you have a new coach in, there's going to be a roster turnover. Cause you know, I, I think that's just how it is. You're going to bring in your guys. You're going to build your system and your philosophy and, and your trust circle with your guys. And I think some of that is you need the quarterback, even though Dalton is a team guy and I'm sure he would jump right in and whatever is asked of him, he would do. I think the transition uh, would be smoother if you rip the Band-Aid off completely. And, and if the ultimate goal is to draft a guy and get him in here and start over at the most important position, I think moving on from Dalton as quick as possible makes some sense. Yeah, so we'll have to see what happens there. We'll see. We'll have to see how quickly the roster churn happens. I mentioned it earlier. It's not something that Bengals fans have really started to talk about all that much yet. 
we're approaching this as if it's a regular off season where we're talking about who are our cap cuts. Is it Vontez perfect? Is it Drake or Patrick? Joe, you want to jump in? Yeah. One more thing. And it's the biggest overarching question for a lot of these questions we have today. What is the plan? Cause we still don't know. Is this a full on reset rebuild where they're looking and now you can rebuild and re- and reset really quickly in today's NFL, the bears, the Rams. I mean, the, the Eagles, you can go from not making the playoffs to deep run to making the super bowl within two years. That is a rebuild, even though it doesn't look like it. They no longer are they three, four, five year rebuilds. You can turn it around really quickly with today's rules. Um, so when I say rebuild, or if that is the plan, we could only be looking at 2020, and you could re- be right back in this, if not further further along than they've been under Marvin Lewis. Or are we saying they're in win now, 2019? I think Taylor and Dalton, because that would give you a lot of, you know, Dalton gives you a baseline. You feel like you can get to nine, ten, maybe even eleven games with him if everything clicks. Uh, if that's the plan, then I I can see why people say, well, that doesn't make sense. Don't draft a quarterback. Get a right tackle. Yada yada yada. That plan. And we'll, we'll talk about that, and I think on a, maybe next week we'll talk about that, the difference between a, a one-year plan and maybe a three-year plan, right? And I think not knowing that kind of makes all of these debates a little bit more murkier. That's true. Maybe they're drafting Kyler Murray. Who knows? And that's, that's like you said, that's a question about team building. Are they going to blow it up and start over? And, and we've looked. If you look at the Rams... They drafted a quarterback at one overall. If you look at the Bears, you talked about the Bears. They traded for Khalil Mack. They signed Akeem Hicks. Two players in the top 15, I think, of PFS top one, top 100. Top drafted Trubisky. Drafted Trubisky. So there's a new quarterback there. But if you look at, I mean, if you look at the Bears, you're talking about the defense this year for the most part. Sure. Let's get to our last question. Let's have a little bit fun, fun before we sign off for the weekend. Bram from at Bram Jungnitz on Twitter asks. What's your Generation 1 Pokemon roster? He said no legendaries, though. No legendaries. We have rules. Do we, should we draft these? Are oh, you no, ready? Let's, no, I'm not ready. But we should <laughs> do a Pokemon draft, if not next week, the week after. Definitely. We should do, do Thursday, we should be draft whatever. Favorite cereals, pizza toppings. I don't care what it is. But we should definitely have a Pokemon draft eventually. All right. What's your team, Joe? All right. So no legendaries. But I'm going to skirt the rules a little bit with that because in his bio, he's listed as the legendary Pokemon or maybe even the first legendary Pokemon. But my favorite is Arcanine uh, with his speed, fire. That's my guy right there. I'm going with him number one. Uh, Blastoise is my number two. I started with Pokemon Blue, and so I picked Squirtle to start with. Blastoise has been my man for a long time since I was a young kid. I actually still have my original Blastoise uh, that I the first Squirtle I chose, I still have him saved on Pokemon Stadium in the bank. So he is about, he's old at this point. He's hes, he's coming up on 20 years old. Uh, after that, I'm going with Gengar. And because I think a ghost psychic, you can handle that a lot. And I, I, his speed also is up. Special attacks up. I like Gengar a lot. Dragonite, I think, has to be on everyone's list for Gen 1. Best dragon Pokemon, easily. Uh, very strong. My last two, I've got Nidoking, who I wanted someone ground i wanted poison earthquake you want those type of things i like this the special attacks to play a little bit of the long game and be a little tactical so i've got him and i've got jolteon because i want an electric i like to paralyze and get the first hit uh not a great electric selection for gen one but i took him for the speed and for the, the paralyzation ability that's joe's team uh just just to talk about comparisons we have some similarities you go arcanine at the fire spot, and I'm taking Charizard. 
I'm taking the starter. I also really like Blastoise, but for my water type, I'm taking Lapras for the dual typing with ice. Got to get that yeah. ice in there to deal with those Dragonites if Lapras can survive. It's true. I've got Alakazam instead of Gengar. I went the Psychic route. And you actually end up with two Poisoners. You have Nido King and Gengar. I do have a Nido, but I took Nido Queen. I want that she was stronger. on my team too. I also have Dragonite. I talked about that one. And for my last one, I think I'm going with Machamp. I'm trading. I'm getting that Machamp traded back to me, and I'm taking my Machamp. And I thought about Hitmonchan with Thunder Punch, Fire Punch, Ice Punch. I mean, he can be really uh, dynamic. I thought about that instead of Jolteon because of, he gets speed also. Uh, but ultimately, I went with the went with the Electric type. There you have it, Beggles fans. A little bit of fun for those of you that grew up in the... When did it come out? In the 90s? 93? 95? Yeah, it was in that range. Yep. For you 90s kids, there's a little bit of fun for you. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, I hope you turned off the podcast a couple minutes ago. <laughs> for those of you that are still with us, next week we're back on Monday. Like we said, to weigh in on weekend news, get deeper into the off-season plan and the NFL draft. We always have our mailbags on Friday. Sounds like we're going to make fun drafts, our Thursday regular segment. So hit us up. Give us some feedback. Tell us how you like the podcast. That's Locked On Bengals. Find us on Twitter, at Locked On Bengals, at Joe Goodberry, at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, please subscribe, and we'll see you next week, Bengals fans. Have a good weekend. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.